Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. And welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, what is the elephant in the room? All right, ready? Hank on three. One, two, three. AFC Wimbledon. Giovanni. Wait, what was yours? Giovanni is the name of the the hair product in my shower. Oh, you're obsessed with this. That is... That is giving my wife a hard time. Hank really does not like this hair product called Giovanni because of the way that it talks about people's hair. He feels that it is negging on human hair, which he thinks is bad form for a product. I don't, he thinks fe- products I don't feel that way, John. It is, to- it is exactly what it's exactly what it's doing. It's like, maybe my hair is limp and lifeless. Maybe I do need Giovanni Eco-Chic hair care. And I'm not saying it's bad shampoo. I'm saying it's bad marketing. It says, with horsepower expanders to increase body and shine while infusing weightless texture. Texture can't be weightless. What's a horsepower expander? Hair is supposed to not be alive. These are all great points, Hank. I'm, for one, am really glad that my hair is limp and lifeless because if it weren't, (laughs) I would have like yet another organism that isn't me on my body to contend with. Yeah, what I need is erect, vital hair. No, (laughs) I don't want that. No, Hank, the actual elephant in the room this week, of course, it has to be AFC Wimbledon, the John, biggest elephant in any room. it can't be AFC Wimbledon. Hank, That's we the can't, whole we end can't, of the podcast. We can't wait till the That's end of the, the podcast. Yeah. It, we, have a, we have a level one AFC Wimbledon emergency announcement. Every now and again, Hank, Wimbledon cannot wait until the end of the podcast. AFC Wimbledon, through a beautiful and excruciating nil-nil draw, have ensured that they will be spending another season in the third tier of English football. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Uh, Just an unbelievable turn of events. Meanwhile, Milton Keynes 
not not going to be in League One anymore. Well, in fact, Hank, I got this wonderful email from Jessica. It's the I single know. best could email you I've say, ever could received. Could you send something for the end of the podcast? Dear John and Hank, I was looking at a map of London recently, and I found Wimbledon and saw where Plough Lane is and where King's Meadow is, and it helped me visualize some of the places that you've talked about on the podcast. But I searched and searched, and I could not find Milton Keynes on that map of London. <laughs> so my question is, where is Milton Keynes? Oh, wait, never mind. I found them. They're in League Two now. (laughs) Jessica. Jessica. That's harsh. I don't know what you do for a living, but you should be in the burn business. Um, that's that's hard, John. That's hard. Hank, as you know, I don't like to negative root, but I also don't believe in absolutes of any kind. There are always exceptions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, obviously, because... Uh, it it seems it seems that you negative root pretty constantly. This first question it comes from Ari, who asks, "Dear Hanga John, if the full moon happens every twenty eight days or every four weeks, why doesn't it always fall on the same day of the week? The last two full moons have both been visible on a Sunday, but I remember the one in January happening on a Wednesday or something. What's going on? Does the moon take days off work? Is it a ploy by the government to hypnotize us? Please help me understand my beautiful space girlfriend, feeling starry Ari." Oh my. <laughs> well, I mean, I I didn't know Ari was in love with the moon, but it's helpful. I think that's going to change the way that I answer the question. Right. You I'm know, not an expert it- in this, Hank, but my suspicion is that it's not exactly 28 days. Your suspicion is correct, John. Yes, it in fact is I think 29 and a half ish days. It's not of course precisely 29 and a half. Like the the moon doesn't care how long a week is. The moon doesn't care how long a day is. The moon doesn't care like that's that system is completely separate from the earth sun system. So they are not linked together in any way, which is part of why our calendar is so messed up because we had a lunar calendar that we were trying to go by and we were also trying to match it with the days and we were also trying to match that was the years and none of those things have anything to do with each other. Right, which is super weird, but uh, it makes me wonder, Hank, what does the moon care about if it doesn't care about days? I think, it, does it care about all of us? Oh no. <laughs> the, well, the, so now I have the official number, John. Okay. The, um, uh, a synodic month mm-hmm. has a period of 29.53059 days and Mm. i would like to say that that is not that is taken out to a certain number of significant digits but it doesn't end there it goes out forever right it is one of those things that is an infinite has an infinite number and and also that number changes as time goes on i want a sequel to that joan osborne song what if god was one of us called what if the moon was one of us that imagines the moon as having thoughts and feelings where as i think that the moon is just a cold dead rock and it's really hard for me to get excited about cold dead rocks But you do your best. I do my best. Actually, I have news from Mars this week, Hank. It's, it's There's first time ever on the pod. Uh, I've got the Mars news, or at least some Mars news. So we might we might double the down on the Mars news. This next question comes from Megan, who writes, Dear John and Hank, it was my 21st birthday last May, and I got quite a lot of money from my family, around 250 pounds, which I think translates to... $14,700. Because this was a big <laughs> birthday, I felt like I should spend the money on something special and something that I could keep. So I decided to think about it. The only problem is I'm still thinking about it and the money's been sitting in a book for almost a year now. <gasps> that seems like an odd place to keep your money, Megan, but I'm not here to judge you. Do either of you have any advice about what I could spend this money on? Well, first of all, it's your 21st birthday. I don't Maybe you should spend it starting a bank account. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I would encourage you to find an institution other than a book to put your money in. Unless it's you're putting it in The Fault in Our Stars or Turtles All the Way Down, then it's just sort of like an honor, an honor that you're bestowing upon John. He doesn't know about well, it. He doesn't need to know about it. But just a, it's like a it's like a gift to the a gift to the book god. Let me throw this out there, Megan. One thing you could do as a sort of investment strategy would be with to take your 250 pounds and turn it into like 30 copies of Turtles All the Way Down. Oh, and then God. hold on to those 30 copies Control of Turtles Z, all the way down. Delete, delete, no. What are you, what, this is a terrible <laughs> investment strategy. It's a great way to turn 250 pounds into like maybe 18 pounds 50. Here's, <laughs> here's what you do. I, 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 you know, there are things you need. You spend money all the time. You might just spend the money on the things you spend money on, and then you will not have, and then you will have more money in your bank account and more things that make your life easier. But what you could do, if you want your uh, people who gave you this money for your 21st birthday to feel appreciated, is maybe be like, okay, what, like, what, maybe I want to like learn how to play guitar. And you spend 250 pounds on like a, like a few months of guitar lessons, and then you're like, I can now play four chords, which is all that you really need to play most of the songs. And everybody can, you can basically say, this is a gift that was given to me by a bunch of people, and now I, for the rest of my life, I can play guitar poorly, which is way better than not being able to play guitar at all. I think that's good advice. If, if anybody... I, I think that's I think that's good advice. And Hank knows of what he speaks. He, of course, has built a, a proper musical career around only being able to play four <laughs> chords. I also think that you could maybe just save the money. That's yeah, and, there's and have wrong it with that. for a rainy day. So mm -hmm. either you're going to learn to play guitar or you're going to save the money. Or I still think it's an option on the table. You're going to buy like 25 copies of Turtles all the way down. This next question comes from Elizabeth who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'll be graduating college in a little less than a month and I've somehow managed to be graduating summa cum laude, which is exciting. I only have one problem. I've never remembered what the answer actually is. Is it pronounced laud or laude or some other way like laude or just loud? I took Latin in high school, and I feel like I should know the answer to this, but the truth continues to elude me. I mean, elude me. Please help. Not lizard breath, Elizabeth <laughs> Portner. Well, Hank, uh, this is an area of expertise for both of us, because we both graduated cum laude. Not to brag. We did not. You're making that up. You may uh have. I graduated cum laude by the absolute skin of my teeth. Not summa cum laude, like fancy oh, Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. I graduated right, no, yeah, regular yeah, yeah. cum laude, the lowest Correct. of the laudes. Yeah, I also got the lowest of the laudes. It was a less good sash. There was a sash, but it was less exciting. Right. I it think was... I needed a 3.45 GPA, and thanks to a B-plus in Buddhist thought and practice, I ended up with a 3.46. So, Elizabeth, here's my advice. You need to ask everyone in your life, including all of your potential employers, how they would pronounce laude as a way of explaining that you graduated from college summa cum laude. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, it's a way, it's a super great way to just introduce the topic. You don't want to just like tattoo it on your arm and be like, you know, well, I got this new tattoo because I'm a big deal. You got to be like, wait, I'm confused about a thing. Help me out. And when they're like, why do you want to know? And it's because, oh, because I got the best possible thing you can get. Right. Yeah. No, it's like when you ask somebody where they went to college and they say, oh, I went to college outside Boston. 
and then you barf a little bit in the back of your mouth, and then you say where, <laughs> and then they say Harvard. <laughs> well, you asked. Or they just brought it up. Usually, actually, you didn't ask, but they're like, when I was in college outside Boston, and then you barf in the back of your mouth, and you have to say where outside Boston. <laughs> And then they say Harvard, and you're like, oh, that's very impressive. And it is very impressive. And let's face it, if I'd gotten into Harvard, I absolutely would have gone. But like to say that I wasn't going to get into Harvard would be to dramatically understate right. the situation. Yeah, no, I did not. I did not. I did not apply. Uh, I did also. I did go to school outside Boston, though. So there's that. It's a. I could. I can also accurately say that. And in, people will ask in me. In what way I'll did you like, go to school in, outside Boston? I went to school in a place that wasn't Boston. Oh, yeah, you went to school like 2,400 miles outside Boston. Correct. Almost everyone went to school outside Boston. It's true. Only our dad went to school inside Boston. <laughs> this next question comes from Juliana, who asks, Dear John and Hank, in the most recent episode of The Pod, Hank mentions that Mars's moons orbit near the equator. This got me thinking, where does Earth's moon orbit? This is our special moon episode, by the way. Like, <laughs> does it also orbit around the equator? This is kind of bothering me. I love that she said it's kind of bothering me. Like, even Juliana can't bring herself to be that worked up about this, but she did care enough to write in. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I, I, it was bothering her at the moment. It's not bothering her anymore. It's over. No, that she's totally it. over it. Um, it is a, it is a little bit non-equatorial. So if it were in the pure elliptic plane, we would have an eclipse all like every month. Oh, cool. But it's not, so we Bummer. only get eclipses occasionally. So it's a little bit tilty. Hank, is there anything else I should know about the moon while we're on the topic? I mean, a lot. The moon's really, really? cool is and great, and you should like all cold, dead rocks. And maybe it does care about things. Maybe the moon is one of us. Just hopefully it won't come down to visit, because that would be the end. Yeah, no, I read a book about that, and things were very, very poor. Did you read Seven Eves? No, I read a different book about it. Maybe maybe it's oh. a frequent topic of dystopic fiction, but boy, <laughs> oh boy, did it make me not want the moon to get any closer to, to Earth than it currently is. All right, Hank, let's move on to this question from Joshua, who asks, Dear John and Hank, if hope is the thing with feathers, which bird is it? Or is it like a dinosaur? Tear down this wall, <laughs> Joshua. Um... I am so glad, Joshua, that you asked this question because I've been wondering this for so many years and never felt like I the confidence necessary to ask it. All right. Well, we can look I, at the text of the poem, Hank, and we can learn some things. Oh, there's more. Uh, it isn't just that one line. I thought that was just the, that one line was the whole poem. Uh, no, it's not a one line poem. It, the, this is the beginning. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. So we know that. And then later, hope is uh, dis described as, quote, a little bird, which is also helpful. Okay. Um, uh -huh. So we know that hope is probably not a dinosaur because it is a little bird. Right. Now, there were little birds in the dinosaur era, but we don't know mm -hmm. much about the tunes that they sang. And we know that this is a little bird that sings a tune 
without right. words and that a tune that's encouraging and a tune that makes you feel lifted up and a tune that right, makes you right right and a tune that Emily Dickinson is in some way aware of right. and ha- like can imagine so it's probably some animal that currently exists or, not an extinct bird or an imaginary bird or a bird that went extinct between Emily Dickinson writing the poem and now right. which is totally possible because there's a bunch mm-hmm. of those yeah not a yeah yeah I wouldn't say necessarily. A I'm betting it's a passenger pigeon. But definitely, that is one of the ones that isn't around. I don't know what a passenger pigeon sounds like. Could, couldn't, couldn't tell you. Well, fortunately, Hank, I have here right now the sound of a passenger pigeon, the sound of its song, as recorded by the Smithsonian. Did you just Google that? No, I just have it on my computer at all times. Oh. We're drapes of Hold on, you have to listen to an ad first. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have YouTube red, come on. I do have it. This is not on YouTube. This is on the Smithsonian.com. <laughs> oh my god, this ad doesn't end for 14 seconds. Forget it. It's not even worth the it's not even worth the <laughs> I got joke. one on YouTube. This is the story of the last passenger Nope, that's that's the story of the last passenger pigeon. I don't want to know about Martha. That sounds very sad. Just tell me what they sound well, like. Well, Hank, I'm not going to be able to play you any passenger pigeon sounds because Smithsonian wanted me to watch a 30-second ad. And, I mean, in this day and age, that's just impossible. We have a, we have a podcast to make, It's too much of my life, 30 seconds. I can't, The last time I watched a full 30-second ad was, like, 2006. <laughs> The idea that educational institutions, and I know that I'm coming at this from an extremely biased perspective, but have to use advertising to support themselves, to me, just seems deeply unjust. Can't we support these things, I don't know, like the Smithsonian and certain YouTube channels that are educational in a way that they won't have to worry about money? Can't society do that? I completely agree, Hank. McKay asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm sorry I said your name that way, McKay. I'm worried about Leon Musk. He never tweets anymore. Is he unwell, perhaps from eating upwards of 400 Snickers bars? Or has he somehow misplaced his antipathy for Mars exploration, which was his defining characteristic? Back in town, McKay. Hank, when Leon Musk first appeared on the scene to advocate for an Earth-only human species until at least 2028 so that this podcast can be renamed Dear John and Hank, its true and rightful name... I remember you saying that Leon Musk was just going to be a flash in the pan. Uh, somebody who didn't spend 13 years on Twitter ceaselessly advocating for um, a, a one-planet solution to the human species. And I was convinced that you were wrong and that I was going to keep that bit alive for 12 <laughs> years. And this is surprising uh-huh. and difficult to admit, but you were right, Hank. Um, almost every time I've ever believed in my heart that I had found the solution to my social media malaise, I have been incorrect. It is interesting those moments when uh, when I'm starting a new thing and I'm so excited about it, and it's like this is this is going to be. I got the I got the long term fuel here. I really know what I'm up 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 about now yeah and then yeah it fades and you find a way to either make it sustainable or you know you just uh leon is hanging out there just in case he's needed you know and maybe leon will be needed someday and and if ever he is he will be back you know hank among the blessings that we inherited from our parents was not a blessing toward long-term endeavors 
<laughs> I mean, is that because our parents were not great at long-term endeavors? I don't know. I don't know whose fault it is. I'm just saying that you and I almost always get bored of whatever we're doing pretty quickly. Well, except for except apparently for our 12-year-long video blog project. John, what is Leon Musk doing right now? Like what's his current his current job? Like what like when he's not tweeting, what is he up to? Oh, well, as you know, Hank, Leon Musk is working hard to make Earth the number one and only place that humans but, live. But that that has two that has okay. two jobs, right? Okay. There's the one job, which is keeping humans from Mars. Mm-hmm. So on that front, he's lobbying people in Congress, people in okay. private industry to please just stop trying to send people to Mars in such a hurry. We don't know that much about it. It's dangerous. Like, let's just let's take a pause on this and try for 2029. Right. That's the first thing that he's doing. The second thing he's doing is working hard to try to make Earth a better place for humans for Mm. the long haul, because this whole notion of planet B, that there's going to be some kind of like backup civilization is just ludicrous. And so Leon Musk is out there every day talking to members of Congress and people in private industry and saying, we've got to invest in Earth. Hank, I don't know if you saw this, but Jeff Bezos, the uh, CEO of Amazon. I did see this. Jeff Bezos said that uh, he didn't know how to spend what he called his winnings from Amazon, now over $100 billion, uh, because he didn't know what kinds of problems to solve with that amount of money. And Uh I I have some ideas, as I'm sure you did, Hank, and certainly Twitter had a lot of ideas for him. But uh, he said the main thing that I think we can do is space exploration. And I think that's fine. And Leon Musk thinks that's fine. But I I actually think there is quite a bit of work to do here on Earth. Uh, Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, I mean, I like I he had to know, right? That people would be like, well, the, well, there's, you know, hungry people. I, I, I do genuinely food think food is available, that, available for a price. I think that a lot of super wealthy people don't think that philanthropy can solve those problems. I think that they're wrong, but I think that they think that. I think, it, I think I, it's awfully convenient for them to think that. Exactly. And anytime you believe something that also happens to be extremely convenient for your worldview, you have to interrogate why you believe it. Right. And that can be a difficult and painful process. And I, by the way, like you and I are not in any way exempt from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, And I guess what I didn't realize is that Leon Musk is just independently wealthy. Like he doesn't need a job job. He can just be out there at Congress knocking on knocking on doors not oh no no no! I pay doors. I pay him I pay him. Oh, you're the, he's your lobbyist. Yeah. This next question comes from Dustin, who asks, "Dear Hank and John, for the last year or so, I've been endeavoring to make the word toast a popular greeting. I'm not going to read the rest of this question. It's just not going to happen, Dustin. Yeah. But I do like yeah. your name specific sign off. The wind, Dustin. Because it's dust in the wind. Oh, that's good. That's good. Good. Work on making your name-specific sign-off happen, Dustin. I don't think toast is going to happen because it's not an effective greeting. And also, it doesn't fill a a need. Like, the the thing about language is it has to fill a place where we have an idea or a feeling, but there's no word that adequately describes it. Mm -hmm. Or the words that adequately describe it feel dated and 
incorrect or cringy or whatever. Right. But I feel so, like Hello has aged extraordinarily well. But it's not that old. Hello is fairly new. And it's sort of like is we that true? we got yeah, I think so. What did what did people used to say in like Athenian Greece? Were they like, Well met, sir? <laughs> they were just like sup. <laughs> what the, they said sup? Sup. Sup is a Zah! greeting that did not What's that? What? That's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I think about it, why not make toast work like well, sup no, worked I've, I've for got like plan, 10 years? Actually. I thought that I was just going to mock Dustin, but now I feel like I have a plan. First, you have to change yeah. culture so that a thing that we do when we see each other, instead of like, like waving or fist bumps or whatever, because these things change. Fist bumps weren't a thing when I was a kid. This is all very new is you have to have the thing be giving someone else a piece of toast. And so that becomes right. the thing for a while is like every time, like you have yes. a bag full of toast and every time you see somebody right. you know, you have to throw yes. a piece of toast at them. And then yes. language will evolve because that's super inconvenient to just have the word toast be the thing right. you say instead of pegging somebody with hard bread. Right. So for the first generation or so, we're just going to have to institute this social convention where everyone gives each other toast Hank, we, I'm going to stop myself right there because what we are risking is the next time we do a live show, a lot of people bringing us toast that won't even be warm anymore because it will have been toasted hours ago. And just throwing at us on stage, just hitting please, us with toast. Please, please don't do not bring toast. us toast. Please don't bring us we need toast. A, we, need a different, we need a different word. It's not going to be toast. We're in, ending it. No, Dustin, it's not toast. Instead, it's John. Go. Snickers. <laughs> yeah, probably Sharpies. The best one. Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Not no Diet Dr. Pepper sounds dangerous. Sharpies is at least useful. One hundred thousand frequent flyer miles on Delta. <laughs> 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 That's like the standard gift exchange whenever you see someone. It's like, Hello, it's nice to see you. I brought you one hundred thousand frequent flyer miles as a way of saying greetings. <laughs> It's real good. Oh man, I do. God, I, I just, I, I did just name all of the corporations I have deep, <laughs> abiding, yeah, almost right? romantic relationships with. Like corporations that, when they do something really wrong, I feel like I've done something a little bit wrong. You know, where like if Diet Dr Pepper has an ad campaign that I don't approve of, or that people, people will come to me and they'll be like, "Hey, have you seen those new Diet Dr Pepper ads? They're so stupid." I'll be like, "I know." And I'll feel like it's my fault, like I failed. Which reminds me that this podcast is brought to you by John's Tremendous Brand Affinity. John's Tremendous <laughs> Brand Affinity. It's irrational, but it's undeniable. I do. I love me some particular corporations. Today's podcast is also brought to you by The Thing with Feathers. The Thing with Feathers. A passenger pigeon? Possibly. And also today's podcast is brought to you by The Call of the Passenger Pigeon. Apparently somebody knows what it sounds like, but we couldn't figure it out, and so we're just gonna have Nick edit it in here. Unless it doesn't exist, in which case Nick <laughs> is going to edit in the sound of a different bird and we're all just gonna pretend it's a passenger pigeon. And lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by the Lunar Month. The Lunar Month, 29.5 something 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 days. Yes, accurate, accurate. 
ish. Hank, this next question comes from Tori, who writes, Dear John and Hank, recently I've been in pursuit of straighter teeth and Invisalign, invisible aligners, have been aiding me. However, every two weeks I have to put in a new tray, and my dentist requested that I keep all the former trays. So presently I have accumulated seven trays, and I'm starting Mm. to get worried. At the Mm -hmm. end of this pursuit, I will have acquired 23 plastic molds of my ever-changing teeth. My question is, what do I do with 23 plastic molds of my teeth? Do I string them together to make a Christmas tree garland? Do I oh. melt them all down to form one me- mega teeth tray? Any dubious advice is greatly appreciated. <laughs> Too many teeth trays, Tori. Uh, yeah, art. You gotta art it. Right? I mean, that's certainly one option, Hank. I think the obvious thing to do here is the next time, Tori, you're in a romantic relationship, Uh-oh. you give your new partner all 23 plastic molds of your former teeth on your one-week anniversary. Okay, good, good. Or or we could change human society so that every time you see a friend on the street, you have to throw a plastic tooth tray at them. That's a great idea, Hank. <laughs> then eventually, instead of saying hello, we'll say tooth trays. <laughs> The other thing I like about that idea, Hank, is that it increases the possibility from zero to unacceptably high that at some point in the future, someone will give us a tooth tray when we are doing live shows. So I want to, in so there advance, was, there was, yeah. tell and you... Any non-zero number is unacceptably high. Like, that used to be zero. We used to be in the wonderful <laughs> exactly. world where there was a 0% chance of anyone ever giving us their dental equipment, and now we are not in that world anymore. Man, I can't tell you how much I want to go back to that past where I was definitely never going to get a stranger's <laughs> dental trays. Um... <laughs> I, All right, Hank. I believe I believe that you did this to yourself, John. I, I guess so. And Tori, I, I'm with Hank deep down. You should definitely art this situation. Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, we need to issue one extremely important correction, which is that as 200,000 people wrote in P&P in a sign-off last week. Somebody yes. signed off P&P, comma, their name, and Hank and I thought it had something to do with drugs and partying and <laughs> young people, and we were just out-of-touch middle-aged people, but in fact, the explanation is so much more obvious, which is that P&P stood for Pumpkins and Penguins, an inside Dear Hank and John joke so old that apparently both Hank and I have forgotten it. More evidence that we are well and truly middle-aged. My favorite part of this this letter, particularly from Anne, is that she called, She said, OMG, P&P obviously means pumpkins and penguins, you actual doofazoids. I know, So now doofazoids. I have the word doofazoid in my life, which is way... Which is a huge gift, Anne. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Anne. I, I, I am a doofazoid, and I need that word to describe myself so much. Like, yeah, I've, I've already started <laughs> using doofazoid to describe myself to my children. And, of course, immediately they got it, and they were like, yes, that is yes, our that dad. Is, uh-huh. That does I, describe I mean, him. What happened to me is I thought Pride and Prejudice, and I couldn't get it out of my head. And I, so I couldn't think of anything except for, because that's what P&P is in my, you know pre-dear Hank and John life. Sure, sure. Well, Hank, before we get to your news from Mars, I have a bit of news from Mars, which is that, Hank, you may remember that a while ago, uh, six or seven human beings went to live on the side of a volcano in Hawaii for a year inside of a very small dome in an attempt to figure out what it would be like to spend a year uh, in a very small dome on Mars. And those people, it turns out, 
all along were sending recordings once a week to a radio mm -hmm. reporter who has now turned mm -hmm. it into a podcast called The Habitat. And it is, mm -hmm. a, I think it's seven episodes long, and it's very, very enjoyable and also a fascinating glimpse into how social dynamics start to work uh, when people are extremely isolated and have to live with each other for a year without really any much of any input from the outside world. So I, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I, I recommend checking out The Habitat. And uh, in, in other Mars news, the big Mars news right now is that when this podcast comes out, the Mars InSight lander will have launched, hopefully, um, and everything will have gone gone according to plan. So uh, we're recording this on Friday, so that launch is happening tomorrow for me, and I'm very nervous about it. Uh, the Mars InSight lander is going to mostly be studying the interior of Mars, and it's the first uh, lander we will ever have that will like basically use like a like a you know those like grabby things at the movie theater that you can try to grab a stuffed animal, a skill claw. Um, yeah, it's basically got a skill claw, and it's going to skill claw some stuff off the lander onto the ground and then have it sort of sit there unconnected from the lander. And uh, it will be mu hopefully much easier than an actual skill claw. And uh, Oh, well, it also, down. it should be said that actual skill claws involve very little skill because they're just programmed right, to not grab except, like, one time out of seven. It's all lies. And, the, uh, and it'll, we'll put a seismometer on the surface of Mars to sit there and measure things about the interior of Mars. A seismometer works like this. If you want to know what uh, what the land looks like under you, you can send a very like powerful uh, shock wave through the land, and by the way that it bounces back at you, you can tell the densities of, uh, of the rock at different depths. But it's, you know, it, to get deeper, to get as deep as you can, you need a really powerful shock. And in fact, the most powerful shock you can get is an earthquake. And so seismometers work by measuring how earthquakes move through a planet. Wow. And, uh, and, and there are Mars quakes. And so basically this thing will sit there waiting for good, good earthquakes, to, good Mars quakes to happen. And when good Mars quakes happens, um, the, the, uh, that, that, rumbling will travel through Mars and get bounced back up toward the seismometer in a way that will allow scientists to determine the density of rock at the interior of, of the planet Mars, which we just, we have no idea. So Mars is not, it doesn't have plate tectonics. Um, it, ha it has not had plate tectonics for a long time or maybe ever, but it does, uh, it is geologically active. It does have earthquakes and we don't really know why or how or what's on the inside. And so this will allow us that first glimpse beyond just like basically a few feet below the surface. Well, that's really exciting, Hank. It's going to be cool to know what Mars quakes are like. It never occurred to me until I heard you say that, that earthquakes are an Earth-specific phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it was sort of a decision people had to make. Were we going to call them earthquakes on the moon and earthquakes on the on Mars, or were we going to give them moonquake and Marsquake? And we decided to go with moonquake and Marsquake. I dig it. I like Marsquakes. So the news from AFC Wimbledon, Hank, as already noted, AFC Wimbledon have, have secured League One status for next year uh, with 52 points, and exactly 52 points. They, they play on Saturday, and if they win, uh, they'll end the season with 55 points, which will be great. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I don't care. 
in the least what happens on Saturday as long as nobody gets hurt and everyone has a good time. Uh, they secured League One status with a nil-nil draw against Doncaster that was maybe the most uh, excruciatingly slow two hours of my life. Uh, it, it, Doncaster uh-huh. did, did, never seemed very close to scoring, but that did not stop me from worrying. Uh, it was extremely <laughs> tense and uh, the celebrations... You only uh, got to get close once. Uh, that's right. The celebrations at the end of the game were really, really wonderful. Uh, you know, it means a lot to Wimbledon fans to to stay up. Of course, uh, it means that, you know, we're only one year away now, hopefully, from the opening of the new stadium, uh, the new Plow Lane, which will completely transform Wimbledon's ability to compete in League One and perhaps beyond. So if we can just find a way to stay up for one more season, uh, then we'll have the new Plow Lane and and all of its uh, opportunities and revenue and fanciness uh, to help us, you know, grow from there. Uh, It's been an incredibly stressful and difficult season, not least for the players. The manager, Neil Ardley, said after the game that having been through a playoff final and now through a real relegation scrap, that uh, mm-hmm. this was far more stressful on every level. It was really hard for the players. And I uh, went through on Twitter after the game and and thanked each of the players because I know that uh, it's it's been a really hard season for them and it's they really have stayed together. And that's why Wimbledon are going to have another season in the league, uh, in League One. So I'm really psyched. I'm really relieved. Now, of course, the question immediately turns to will Wimbledon be able to hold on to their star players, especially Lyle Taylor, who has interest mm-hmm. from championship clubs, uh, clubs in the division above where we are now. So that may be it's hard to tell, you know, Lyle, after all he's done for this team, that, that he you know, can't play at the highest level that he, he can play at. So I don't right. know. I don't know if we'll be able to hold on to him. And then George Wong, the goalkeeper, who also had a wonderful season, uh, is on loan from Sheffield United. So we don't know what's going to happen there. It's going to be an interesting offseason. But, oh, my gosh, is it going to be easier being in League One again? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm very happy. And I was very happy when it happened. And I'm, I'm actually I'm looking forward to this uh, this game that doesn't matter between AFC Wimbledon and, and Barry or Bury or whatever. So yeah. that, like it could be a game where you don't have to be super nervous and terrified. I know. Finally, like two hours of football that can be enjoyed, uh, which, <laughs> frankly, you know, we haven't necessarily had many times this season. So that that should be good. Um, John, and also, do they have do they have half? T- they have halftime. They have halftime. Yes. Do they what do they do during how do they have like bands come out on the field and like do da 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 things uh, happening? occasionally they'll have they'll have stuff happen at halftime but often but it's not, not like the like it's not like the middle school band from the local the local town comes I, out to I've never seen that stuff. in particular uh, although I couldn't say for certain but yeah there, sometimes stuff happens at halftime honestly when I go to a game I usually spend halftime waiting in line for the bathroom and getting a beer so you have no idea what happens at all. Okay. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be able to tell you for sure. Uh, Hank, what did we learn today? Oh, wait. What was your phrase of the week? John, what was your phrase of the week? I'm going to uh, guess that yours was 100,000 Delta frequent flyer miles or whatever you said. <laughs> no, it was Athenian democracy. <laughs> I don't even remember you getting or that Ath- in. Or Athenian Greece or, or whatever I said. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. 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 You did talk I about that. I squeezed it in. Of course, I have no f- flippin' idea what yours was because I never listened to what you're saying. (laughs) Uh, What was it? I'm not even going to guess. 
It was middle school band. I said it like four seconds ago. Oh my God, middle school band. I I wasn't even listening 25 (laughs) seconds ago enough to guess. Dang it. Why would you you ask me about halftime? I mean, it's not like it's hard to figure out. God, mm, I'm so mad at myself. I was like, like, oh God, the podcast is ending. Oh God, how do I I get middle school band in here right now? Uh, Hank, (sighs) for reasons... For reasons that will become obvious uh, probably in the next week or two, I have to go right now to be on a very important conference call. So okay. you're going to do the exciting. outro. Well, everyone, except for John, thank you for listening to the podcast. And John, thank you for potting with me, even though you're not there anymore. Also, we have Snappy the Don't Snap and Text t-shirts available at DFTBA.com, because why not have that? They're available for pre-order for a limited time, and then they won't be available anymore. And I do hope that I someday see somebody besides me wearing one. But that's, of course, entirely up to you. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our producers are Rosianne Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be awesome. awesome.